Hello and welcome to the Collective Wisdom Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be a wiser version of yourself. This is a podcast that helps you to tap into your own inner wisdom and find the answers within you for how to live your best life. I'm your host, Kat Preston. I'm a certified life coach and I help people to turn down the noise in their heads and tune into the wisdom in their hearts. Every week I'll be asking my guests to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. Hey there, my wise friends, and welcome back to another episode of Collective Wisdom. I'm your host, Kat Preston, and today we are privileged to have with us an extraordinary guest, Claire Louise, who is author of And Always Annalise. Before we begin, a quick but essential note. The subject matter of today's episode deals with the loss of a child, and some listeners may find the content emotionally very difficult. So please do exercise some self-care in deciding whether to proceed with this episode, and you might also want to listen with headphones. Today's conversation is unlike any we've had before. It delves deep into the corners of human experience that are often left in the shadows. Pain, loss, but also crucially, the resilience of the human spirit. Claire Louise has courageously penned down her journey, a heartbreaking yet transformative experience following the loss of her seven-year-old daughter, Annalise. Her book serves not just as a tribute to her daughter's life, but also as a guiding light for those grappling with incomprehensible loss, or perhaps supporting someone who is. It's an episode that takes courage to speak, to listen, and most of all, to try and understand the indescribable. So without further ado, I'll hand you over to Claire Louise. Our stories have immense power. They carry pain, joy, lessons, and most importantly, the strength to change lives. And joining me today, I have the immense privilege of introducing you to a story and an author that personify courage, strength, and resilience. Claire Louise has written And Always Annalise, a heart-rending yet profoundly important exploration into a grief most of us cannot fathom, the loss of a child. The courage it takes to dive into such profound depths of sorrow and to emerge with insights to guide and support others is nothing short of remarkable. This isn't just a book, it's a beacon, a beacon of light for bereaved parents and an invaluable guide for those walking alongside them, trying to offer support, but often unsure how. Through Claire's story of losing her beautiful seven-year-old daughter, Annalise, we're given a profound lesson in empathy, understanding, and the intricate dance between mourning and healing. As Claire herself says, Navigating life as a bereaved parent or supporting a bereaved parent is one of the hardest things you'll ever face. Every aspect of your world changes and it's painful, isolating, scary and confusing. Learning to live with grief is so acute, it actually hurts your heart and can feel impossible. But I'm proof that it's not. I've learned so much in the past few years and I want to help you and those around you by sharing my story. So Claire, I don't just admire the courage it took to write this book, but I also want to honour every individual journey it represents and every heart it might heal. So thank you so much for being here today. Perhaps I can start firstly by just expressing how profoundly sorry I am that what's brought us together is this tragic loss of yours. Thank you. That's an incredibly moving and touching introduction and it's weird when I listen to the stories the the, the words you've just used it's hard to recognize that that's me that you're talking about somehow um because the reality is that person sounds incredible and I don't feel incredible um a lot of the time occasionally but not very often but um yeah it is it, it, it it's it's there are so many people that I have met uh, or interacted with because because these days you know you, you you meet people virtually so much and mm. that I and I've said often um, I wish we didn't know each other but we do and so um, I kind of 
embrace the opportunities that there are now. I didn't feel like that in the early days, but um, I got a bunch of flowers that were sent to me this week by another bereaved parent because it had been her daughter's, she would have been 18, and I painted her a bunch of stones with her daughter's name on and her age on, and I sent them to her. And and also she had to prepare for her... Um, I'll say her, say her name for Rachel's inquest, and she was really struggling to work out how to go about writing her statement. And I said to her, "Try using the book, and try using the kind of chapters in the book to try and help frame your thinking." And she sent me a lovely little bunch of flowers and to say thank you. And I, and I left her a message, and I said, "I really wish we didn't know each other because the reason we know each other is because Rachel and Annalise aren't here, but we are where we are, and so we." You know, um, I take immense kind of comfort and solace in the opportunities that's brought me. It sounds a really strange thing to say, but I think you probably know what I mean. Not at all. It doesn't say, I mean, especially having read the book, it doesn't sound strange at all to me. Um, I wanted to start really with one of the most profound things that comes across throughout the book is just how important it is. I mean, you've just talked about if you're someone supporting someone who has lost a child, write those important dates down in your diary forever. You know, just how important it is not to lose sight of who it is that's been lost. So perhaps we could begin with just sharing some simple memories of Annalise and who she was as a little girl. Yes, of course. Um, so Annalise, uh, she died when she was about seven, nearly seven and a half. Um, and she, well, it, it, she, you'll be, you can see me smiling. I don't know if mm. the listeners will be able to hear the smile on my face, but she was, oh, how to bring her to, to kind of a place where they can imagine her. She was kind of crazy, chaotic, complicated, um, really loving and um kind of complex she was very shy she had kind of quite a lot of self-esteem issues but she was also this beautiful little simple um innocent little girl who loved everything Disney princess who loved um you know belting out a show tune when she was sitting on the kitchen table doing her, you know, making her Lego or her hammer beads. Um, and for a child that was, it was really, she was she was a real um, contradiction. If, if there was anything at school that included doing performing, she was terrified, couldn't cope with it. It was very distressing for her and for us at times. Um, at home, if she didn't think anybody was listening or anybody was watching, my God, I've got a couple of kind of videos that I've taken in secret and, you know, all the hand gestures, all the movements, this big. I remember I used to say to her when she was in the bath, singing along to um, the Oliver soundtrack uh, from the film. And I would say to her, oh, you know, one day you might be on a stage and you might be singing that. And she would look at me with these like, she had enormous brown eyes. And I'd say, and I will say, that's my daughter, Annalise, you know, she's yeah. amazing. And she just used to look at me like with wonder to sort of just dare to imagine that that was a possibility. And yeah, I, I've got, I feel immensely, oh, I'm such conflict of emotions. I feel immensely lucky that I got the chance to parent her for a few years. I feel um, very proud of, who she was and what she kind of coped with in her short life. Um, and I am heartbroken that I'm never going to get to see her grow up, that, you know, her next birthday, she would be 13. And, you know, I will on that, on that day, I will, you know, I would have a teenager and yeah. I, I haven't. And that's really, really hard. Um, that the, not only do you have the loss of, the child that you knew and that was part of your life you lose this entire future and it's 
just devastating. It's devastating. Mm-hmm. But you know, you um, it is it is what it is, and you, and you you kind of find your way around it somehow. But yeah, she was she was very she was very she was a very special little girl. Um, and and actually, it's it's bizarre. I, there have been many things that have happened since she died interactions with other people messages from other people um that make me realize the impact and the connection that she had with other people um but that I didn't even realize um and so my kind of my pride in her uh, goes on basically and I would just like to reflect I mean you have done such a remarkable job of capturing all of that love and light that she clearly brought into your life in the book and I just know she would be very proud of you I mean she would be amazed she would be amazed to see uh, her little self-portrait on the front of a book to know that she was the subject of a book she wouldn't be able to fathom that I tell you she'd be absolutely amazed (laughs) yeah so so proud and I think that's just one of the gifts that that she brings still now you know to this day so so yeah beautiful and you touched then on you know the 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 other thing that really I think from an empathy point of view really hit home for me was the secondary losses you know the loss Mm. of who you are your own identity changes the loss of a future the way you had perhaps Mm. depicted it um I just wondered if there was you know insight that you could give because you clearly now are a little bit further through yes learning how to live with that new person yes it's it's just extraordinary how you you know the moment that your world changes and that that you know I know we're we're very specifically talking about the loss of the child today but I think grief you know significant people in your life you know the moment that happens there's a there's a shift I sort of had it previous to Annalise I had it my mum died uh you know relatively quickly a few weeks um when she was only 62 and was Mm. and that was a big shot that was the biggest thing I'd had to cope with um and that's 13 years ago now um but something shifts in your world um and generally speaking uh you kind of learn how to cope with it and you you process the loss I think the thing that feels fundamentally different about losing a child like my mum losing my mum didn't change me as a person Mm -hmm. but when Annalise died and I didn't realize it at the time it took me a while to realize it I think but you just you lose your you lose yourself as that that version of yourself absolutely is gone that day as well and um you become somebody different and in in the kind of immediacy after her death you know and i use immediacy as a kind of you know broad term to mean the following kind of 6 12 18 24 months really um you sort of wonder i mean in the very early days I just sort of couldn't recognize myself. I couldn't, I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't, I mean, it's just sheer profound shock. Um, And you, it's like something I had never experienced. And, and then I felt so vulnerable. And I, again, I, I, I've always been a fairly, you know, confident, outgoing person. Not that I haven't had to overcome challenges I've had to come overcome quite a lot of challenges but I never felt so self-conscious before Mm. you know I would I would you know if I had to go to the supermarket or the post office or I would just be begging that I wouldn't bump into somebody that I knew because when my eyes met theirs in those early days we live in a fairly kind of you know an area where people know each other you know um just the awkwardness that I I I, in the very early days I couldn't talk easily about it they just didn't know what to say and it was just this 
oh, it was it was horrendous. It was crippling. It was absolutely crippling. Um, you know, I remember. Um, I mean, it's not funny. I don't know why I'm sort of. Yeah. So, Annalise died just before uh, uh, a half term holiday, um, and she was seven, and and our son at the time was five. Um, and so he had a week off school anyway uh, because it was a holiday. But then then he was going back into school, and I remember the like taking him back to school that first day, it was like a military operation. I remember my two friends that were just this incredible, and it continued to be this incredible layer of support for me, um, parking their cars on the road so that we had a space just to drive into. They then walked, they kind of flagged us because I didn't want to speak to anybody. I wanted, at the same time, I wanted it to be as normal as it could be for for Mm. my son. I had asked the school and they, the school were brilliant, but I, we had purposely said to the school, we didn't want flowers anywhere. I didn't want my son to have to kind of walk past this, you know, had visions of like, you know, Princess Diana and, and, and just all, you know, this kind of like, you know, um, just a kind of lawn full of flowers. I didn't want that. And anyway, they flagged us. They kind of walked us in. It, it reminded me of a scene, you know, the Reservoir Dogs kind of scene where, you know, there was my son and there was us side the side of him. There was a couple of other people. And they literally kind of walked us in and walked us out. Wow. And they did that for a few days. Um, and because it was that difficult, it was just that difficult to cope. And that, you know, uh, then, you, then you find... Uh, a way to be able to do it without that but in literally those first few days that's the level of of support I needed and and you know I I would never have recognized that version of myself but you yeah. just become someone different and I think you also become somebody that who has survived and is now live lived living through because it never goes away you know this kind of worst thing that you can imagine so you sort of become your your it's almost like you're recalibrated and mm-hmm. your your um you know your scale of what's important and what's not is forever altered but that's not to say that i don't get my knickers in a twist about things that you know aren't important i'm human and i do but generally speaking I I know what's important in life and there's not much that's important in life. It really helps really. you focus on the, the oh, essentials. Uh, you, and, know. you know, we should explain perhaps that, and you do this in the book, that especially in your case, there was no illness that it was a long, you know, there no, was a shock. It was, long, it yeah, was post-traumatic it was stress disorder that you were almost dealing with. It was kind of... Yeah, it. well, I was diagnosed with with PTSD yeah Um, yeah yeah, it was it was um Annalise caught an infection um and it very quickly turned to sepsis uh which unfortunately wasn't picked up and yeah it was you know literally a couple of days um and 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 not you know and I I have often reflected on that over the years you know, the shock of it, the speed of it. For her, I'm very glad it was quick. Mm. Um, if she was going to die, I, you know, I look at parents I've met and 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 many of them have, have supported their children through long illnesses mm. and it's very painful and, and, and you know, I, 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 that's not my experience, so I sort of can't imagine it. For for Annalise, I'm glad it was quick. Um, she, I know she was scared. I know one of the last things that she said to me was, "You know, Mummy, I'm scared. I want to go home," and and that kind of haunts me. Um, but it wasn't long. It it it, yeah. it wasn't long. It was a few hours for for her. Literally, you know, like three hours after we took her into the hospital on that second day and she had died and you just if you hadn't been there you wouldn't have been able to believe it you just unless you'd seen it with your own eyes um so yes it was it was literally like you know like a uh, just this enormous line being drawn in our lives um and then you know you have no you come back into the house and everything's the same but everything's different yeah you know all her stuff is still everywhere and there is no 
we had a holiday, but our first holiday abroad was booked, which needed to be cancelled, and all, all the unpicking of things in, mm. in our lives that, that that we thought were going to happen, and that's very very hard. Um, and I think one of the biggest things you learn is that you just have to take it day by day, yeah. at at your own pace. Um, there will be some days that you feel capable of nothing. Um, and that's okay. You know, you have to uh, uh, allow yourself that. I think you know, a lot of that stuff depends on your personal circumstances, doesn't it? I had a five-year-old son to look after, which meant I had to get out of bed every day because he mm. needed me. Mm. Um, had I not had him around, I don't know what my um, grief would have looked like and what my mourning would have looked like. I think it would have been very different. Very different. But what you what you sort of communicate so effectively, so well in the book is, you know, you're thrown into this journey, you're thrown into this experience unprepared and there's no right answer or wrong answer for how to grieve. It's a very personal journey. I, I, I think that also that message of it is one day at a time, just knowing for the people around you, that no two days are going to be the same. You can't mm. predict how you're going to feel in any given moment. But it it really felt like the people that you you could really lean into for support were the ones who just kept showing up regardless. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I know, you know, in the book, I there, there are some very um very specific kind of thank yous at the back of the book because there mm. were and, and you know we were we were well supported by lots of people but there were a few people in particular who just did whatever it took whatever that was and they took us however they found us um and and that that continues you know i think i think that's another thing that tends to happen with something like this is in in the first few weeks it's like you're a celebrity it's weird yeah. because everybody sort of shows up at your door um everybody knows what's going on in your life uh people do things for you in a kind way you know i didn't cook a meal for a month because food just kept turning up and um so uh, people you know like 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 the, the holiday that needed cancelling I didn't do that I had a friend that sorted it all out um yeah. it, it, you know it's like I had these these personal kind of assistants around me that just I said you know for example said holiday in mind I had been out I don't know a week before Emily died and bought her a whole new load of summer clothes which were still just in a pile and I just said I can't deal with that. I need those. I need those gone. And so a friend just swooped them up, took them all back to the shop, got me a refund. You know, just stuff like that. Yeah, the practical that, stuff. Yeah, that, that I just couldn't. Weirdly, I couldn't cope with it, but I wanted it sorted. I, I did. I, and that's for that's again a very personal thing. You know, I could have put those clothes in the cupboard and just closed the door and just forgotten about them for, for a good long while. But I just, I just needed them. She'd never worn them. She'd never, you know, I just needed them yeah. gone and done. And I, it was a job that I, you know, so it's. it's and a also very, a very hard job to do, you know, that closure. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, and I think, I think the one of the things that really struck me was the way you described grief is almost like having a brain trauma. Mm. And I'm not sure that I had respected that. So that the simple things that probably came much more easily to you, like you say, mm. this loss of confidence, this loss of mm. just your own sense of being able to yeah. get on with it's, stuff. Disappear. It's, it's totally, it was totally unexpected. Um, and, you know, I, I couldn't, I've always been somebody that loved reading. I couldn't read a book. I couldn't listen to music. I couldn't. Wow. I, I, I couldn't really and that and and what I did do was I sat down and I did lots of art and craft I did I, I my creative beast was kind of unleashed and I spent hours I used to listen to audiobooks and I spent hours and hours and hours 
painting stones, you know, painting watercolours, um, just to get through every day kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely a brain injury. I, I'm still I'm still different. I, I I still I think I don't remember things as well. Um, and I I need a sort of need to give myself recovery time from things if that makes mm-hmm. sense okay. so I need to be a bit I need to be a bit gentler with myself I can't I can't kind of go at stuff at, at, at a pace that I used to or if I do once that once that you know piece of work's been delivered or whatever it might be um then I need uh, you know I need the kind of my decompression chamber Time to rest. Yeah. And, and, you know, interesting, one of your chapters is called Be Kind to Yourself. And I think mm. as a as a bystander, as somebody, you know, again, it's that just notice, notice how can you help someone be kind to themselves? How can you help not turn up with judgment or, you know, helpful suggestions like, isn't it time you were getting over this by now? Yes. Any of the things that might seem like yeah. you're fixing someone or helping someone. Yeah. And you'd be amazed at how common that is. And and, and ironically, uh, and I don't know why this is, but I, from my experience of, you know, meeting or, or being part of a community, um, an incredible charity called the Compassionate Friends who are there to support bereaved parents and siblings and grandparents um and I have made you know amazing connections with with and we're sort you know we're kind of like the family that you never you never wanted because you don't want to be there but we all know each other's children we have a it lives mainly on 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 social media but we you know um we have a thing on a Saturday where people share photos of their children now not everybody does it not everybody wants to not everybody feels they can I do it every week because I love sharing photos of her and people get to know you get to know people's kids you know for five years I've been sharing pictures of her and telling little stories and things you know and that's lovely because nobody judges you mentioned judgment you know it's uh, nobody judges and um it's just lovely to be able to be proud of your children and and yeah yeah and why shouldn't we be you know um so I forgot there was a point I was going to make which just completely demonstrates my my brain power um oh yeah just just it, you know you don't know how you're going to be and some days are good and some days are not and I think oh I know what I was going to say now that's a brilliant <laughs> example of what happens to my brain now um from what I've learned and heard from other people actually family can often be the 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 audience that that find it most difficult to adjust to the different you and I guess that's because they're the people that were closest to you and knew you know knew you inside and out and when there's this sort of different version of you um they find it really difficult because I think not only if you know they've also lost somebody from their family Mm. but they've kind of also lost you and um you know you you sort of mentioned the you know the famous you know shouldn't you be over it by now and I know people bereaved parents who whose parents have said that to them Mm. and it's so hurtful and in a way I mean both my parents had died before Annalise and there have been moments when I've thought kind of weirdly I think but you know at least you know I didn't get let down by them because they weren't there to do it and I'm yeah kind of grateful well as much as I would have loved them to be there to support me what if they hadn't supported me in Mm. the way that I liked and that would be another massive loss and uh, uh, you know something to be disappointed about so yeah and I think it's so because in society we tend to move (laughs) towards you know we were talking before we started recording about how you find it very comforting to be able to be open with your tears with your emotions how you're feeling on the day is how you're feeling and being able to express that is really important and yet we can we have a tendency to want to fix things or not to be the person that 
ended up provoking those dis- uncomfortable emotions. Yes, so it's hard. It's, it's, it is difficult. And again, it's very personal. I think I say it a lot in the book, you know, my story is my story, but it's not the person standing next to me's story. <clears throat> and everybody is a bit different in how they respond to things and how they want to handle things. Um, I've always been an outwardly emotional person. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and so I'm not I'm not afraid of my feelings. And so I you know, I, I haven't hidden my emotion from anybody, uh, much to some people's discomfort at times, I'm sure. But, you know, I'm not really going to lose any sleep over that. I have to be true to myself. And <clears throat> even my husband says to me, you know, something happened the other day that wasn't related to Annalise, actually, but I was having a good old cry about it. And he said, you know, tears aren't going to, tears aren't going to help. And I said, <clears throat> I know they're not going to help. I said, it's just how I express and it's how I process stuff. And that's just how it is. So we're very different. I mean, that's yeah, another yeah. That's another very important point is that, you know, the death of a child in a relationship puts an enormous strain because, and, and, and he and I were together the day it happened. We were with her when it happened. Um, thank goodness, because I think if we hadn't both been there, there would have been an, a, a small part of your brain that would have been saying, surely you could have done something to stop it. Surely you could have seen what, you know, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the fact was we were both there in the moment and and I'm very grateful for that because I think that's been very important for our our ability to, to kind of heal and stay together. And But it does put enormous difficulty, partly because individuals are just that, individuals. Yeah. And yeah. he and I grieve in a completely different way. And he hasn't read the book. He sort of read an early draft because I wanted to check in with him on how I, you know, that mm. he was comfortable with his story stuff, too. Stuff I'm saying. Exactly. But since it's been published, he hasn't read it. And I said to him the other day, you haven't even read the book. Like, it's just been sitting on the shelf. And he's like, I don't want to read about my daughter dying. I was there. Mm. I know mm. what happened. Mm. And... So we are, you know, even the two of us are very different. You know, I've I've sort of immersed myself in understanding grief and 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 connecting with other people, and that's been part of my healing. Mm. He is the complete opposite of that. And I think that's what's so wonderful about what you've done here, Claire, is because you clearly are a very open person. You've been so open and honest about your own process of learning to live alongside this grief but it's your total acceptance of Annalise's father and how he grieves that almost is the key to it it's there is no wrong way or right way Mm. there's no trying to force someone to do something that doesn't feel you know it sounds it sounds like I'm a saint when you say it like that and and there is acceptance, but there were moments and times when it was extremely pressured. And so, for example, his sort of knee-jerk reaction after Annalise had died was, I want to leave the country, let's sell up, let's go and live on the other side of the world. I don't want to see anybody that knew us. I don't want to have to explain to anybody. And I absolutely did not want to do that. Uh, I didn't feel that that was the right thing to do for our son at that point in time. Um but that became a real difficulty because all he was doing in those early days was looking at properties in <laughs> Australia and New Zealand and you know, mm-hmm. and 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 that was part of his coping mechanism was just to fantasize about walking off into the sunset and sort of pretending none of this has happened. And I'm a real pragmatist, I'm a realist, I'm I'm a glass half full, he's a glass half empty, you know. They do say opposites attract, and I think it must be true. But um, he is an amazing man. He is a great father. He is kind and loyal and fun. Um, But we don't agree on a lot of things. Um, And in those early days, I wasn't sure if he would stay Mm. because he – and I was too scared to ask – really um but that was what was going on in my in the pit of my stomach was he wants to run away so much 
are we going to be enough to keep him here? And that mm. was really scary. Yeah. It was really, really scary. And, and you know, uh, he still looks at houses, you know, every week he probably shows me some somewhere and he says, you know, look, what we could be running a beach bar in Thailand and, uh, you know, <laughs> it sort of becomes a joke between us and we're still here and, and whatever. But, it, it yeah, there is acceptance that we grieve differently, but there were times and I, and I sort of want... I want to be really real about it. It's a really tough gig to get through as a couple. Mm. Um, and it takes a lot of work and a lot of patience and a lot of kind of fear. Um, but I think just keep keep going and keep just 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 understand that not everybody can handle it. The way that you're handling it and and yeah go easy go easy on each other you know if you can um I think well you said it beautifully you said that you know you came to different different you arrived at different places in terms even in, in terms of how you found therapy you know compassionate friends was one of the sort of the real support sources yes. of support for you and yet that yes. At all no, available no. to your partner. So. No, I mean he kind of looks on on Facebook. I don't think he's ever made a comment. Um, whereas I I also feel I have a responsibility to help and support. You know, because unfortunately, people are joining this group yeah. every day, every week. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I see people and I'm taken back to me being three months in or whatever. And and I and I try really hard to just give a little bit of hope that there will be some blue sky one day. And it might not be for a while, but just keep going and keep talking to us and you can be whoever you need to be with us and and you know, we get it. So rant, rave. If you want to be, you know, if you just want to go off the deep end about something, this is a safe space for you to do that. And, and I think that's that, that's an incredible thing to have. Um, because as amazing as as some of my friends have been, they're not bereaved parents, so they're not they're not walking in my shoes. Whereas this other gang, who are warriors, they are. You know, and um, I think we mean a lot to each other. Yeah, and it's a beautiful space that you've clearly created. I love that you're leaning into, you know, I talk a lot on this podcast about how those acts of simple kindness can be a source of solace to the person who's giving them. It's not always possible when you're really in the depths of your own despair. That's We don't have easy access to it, but it's clearly been part of your healing process to yes. be able to be those blue sky moments for someone else yeah because I can remember a conversation you know with with the kind of we have sort of regional um kind of people that lead groups and uh, you know open their houses to to you know face-to-face meetings and stuff and and I remember a conversation with Susan who's an amazing woman and she lost her son Joe um when he was 12 uh, uh, to an asthma um, attack and I just remember talking to her and her and, and it being the first person that I thought okay this person really gets it and she just told me how well I was doing I mean this is probably I don't know a week or 10 days after it happened because that's another thing about me I was like right what are all the practical things? Where can I get support? What can I do? And my friends were all, all went off and found all this stuff. So one of my friends came back and said, right, here's the number for the compassionate friends. And I remember ringing them and speaking to a volunteer and them saying to me, oh, when did your daughter die? And me saying, um, you know, the day before yesterday. Oh. And them almost, them almost taking a sharp intake of breath as if to say, oh, okay. Because the, the truth is, I did not know what was coming. Yeah. And it makes me kind of laugh to think that I was picking up the phone at that point because some people 
don't get to that point of of connecting with the compassionate friends until months and years after their child has died. But I was just like, kind of like, you know, just right in there. And I and I don't really know what that says about me, but it is just who I am. And 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 I remember that this person sort of almost like I say, sort of drawing breath and me thinking. It's a bit strange, wasn't it? But now I look back and I think, oh my god, what was I doing? You know, it's just yeah. like, uh, it, yeah. But you just again, that's a, a great example of just got to do what feels right for you. And this sense of putting one foot in front of the other, just getting through the day somehow, mm. trying anything, trying everything, mm. trying nothing, just yeah. knowing that tomorrow I get to try again. Yeah, and and it's funny. There were some things like that that I was very immediate about. There were other things like collecting her ashes from the funeral parlour that I put off for, oh, God, I'm trying to remember. It might have been at least a year. It might have been longer. Mm. And I just wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. and. We still haven't scattered her ashes. We don't know what to do with them. So she's just in my cupboard, surrounded by some of her favourite cuddly toys. And every time I open that cupboard to get something, I think that's weird because I know what's up there in that box. Um, But I sort of try not to focus on it. I think the reality is that Annalise is everywhere in my house and my world not not kind of like it's funny I'm just leaning over my desk to um you know I find things like I've got a little pink hello kitty hair clip in mm. my hand that I you know found in a pocket uh, of something that I maybe hadn't worn for a while and and these little things are very meaningful that you know something that she's touched something that she's worn so she's everywhere um yeah. and I think about her you know as much she sort of occupies as much of my brain as she did when she was here almost and I'm okay with that I'm okay with that I I I get that that might sound a bit odd to some people but she's always going to be my daughter and I'm always going to be her mum it's just yeah doesn't sound at all odd I think it, it it is about that what what works for you and and maybe there's even a sense of does she need to be scattered when she's right there with you all the time yeah. Yeah, that's right. I I I I don't know. We 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 don't really talk about it anymore, but yeah, there's no immediate need to do anything. Um and again, for other people that's not right. For other people they they want a grave and they want somewhere to visit and that's very important and that's a big focus. That was never how we felt, but you know, that's okay. Everybody can do it however yeah. feels best for them. And I think that if there's a lesson that I would like to sort of express that I have learned by reading this book, it's as a supporter of someone who's been bereaved, you're never there to um, even really give advice. It is literally just to hold a space to listen and, and to help someone understand their own intuition and lean into what it, what feels right for them rather than mm. as a should there or you should do this or you can maybe you know yeah. too many things become yeah I you know I think that's that's exactly right and that's very powerful when you find when you have a friend um or, or a family member or who can hold who can just be in the same space as you when you are literally snotting out of your nose and <laughs> you know you 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 just you don't know what you're doing but they're just with you yeah you don't need them to to do anything you don't need them to say anything you, you just want the a bit of of human connection and to know that you're not on your own um uh you know and i think that 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 sense of uh, there's a there's a brilliant uh, podcast um, by Carrie Ad Lloyd called um, Griefcast, yeah. um, and her you know kind of tagline is you know remember you, you're not alone and 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 you know we see this in in many areas of of life but that I think the human condition 
generally is such that connection is 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 fundamental to our ability to kind of um live uh really f- for the for the large part um to a greater or lesser extent but that connection is is really important so yeah i think you can't when a when someone's child has died you can't fix it there isn't the right or the wrong thing to say well that's not quite true there are some wrong things to say uh but i think the right things to do are to just show up even if some days they tell you to piss off that they can't cope with it you say mm. no worries i'll i'll pop by in a couple of days and you know or whatever don't give sort up. of yeah don't give up because there will be a day when they're ready to let you in and ready to 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 kind of or, or or just or just need you and um i think it that's that can feel awkward and it can feel hard but i, I think for me there there have been people that ha- have shown up continuously for the last five and a half years and you know they've helped us survive as a family and and that's another thing is you know it's a big part of my book and it's a very big part of my life but is parenting a child who's living with the trauma of you know aged five losing his sister overnight and he is forever impacted by that and I see that on a day-to-day basis and that again is something that I when the day that she died I had no idea what was coming down that track Mm. um but you know you don't know what you don't know and you just you know keep putting one foot in front of the other is a, a good friend of mine a guy I used to live with at university in the very early days said to me and it's really stuck in my head I think I put it in the book said you know you've got to run a marathon this is not quick this is not going away you've got to run a marathon and the reality is at the moment Claire you're just kind of putting on your running shoes Mm-hmm. and I've really that really stuck with me because now I would say you know I might be getting to about mile 10 by now but I'm st- I've still got more than halfway to go mm-hmm. um and that analogy just really stuck with me because the only way you run a marathon is by putting one foot in front of the other through mm-hmm. the pain through the tears not that I ever have run a marathon but you know I'm imagining um but but that's that's it's it was a brilliant analogy and it's really stayed in my head um because you just have to you have to just keep going yeah and I think that's what comes across in your beautiful book it's for people who are trying to support those who are bereaved it's all also about keep showing up even if you feel like you're not making a difference you can never tell the one day that you do just send that note mm. or remember a special occasion mm-hmm. it make all the difference. Mm. One really simple thing, and, you know, bereaved parents get it 100%, but is, and it's why I've called the book and always Annalise, because I still, whenever I send a card to anybody, I still, you know, I put all of our names and I, and I end, you know, and always Annalise with a kiss, um, because she's still part of, our family and okay our family looks different to how it used to um but I think including including a child's name in a in a Christmas card or or sending them a card on their birthday or yeah those sorts of things they're very small and even if you don't really get it just do it because it's an easy thing to do and it's telling them that you remember their child and that is worth its weight in gold. Um, yeah. So even if you think it's a bit weird, I'd say just get over it and write their name. Yes. Yeah. That's such a powerful thing to, to have you say. Now, I know um, you said in the book that when when you had just experienced this incredible loss, it was almost impossible to access that emotional system through music and, but you did find creativity was a big help. I'm wondering now if you're in a space where music takes you back to some of those more fun, light memories that that, that you enjoyed together. Yes. 
I'm happy to say it does. And it, it probably it probably took me a year or so, um, maybe a couple until I could. I mean, when I when if there is if there's a time when I want to just I want to make myself sad, um, which sounds a really weird thing to say, but occasionally I just want to give into it and have a good old cry, and you know, I find it quite cathartic. Don't do it very often anymore, but um, I know that listening to, particularly to kind of Disney songs um, and things like that, just make me feel super, super emotional because she was such. She was a little. She was a little. She was a seven-year-old that wasn't old for her years. She was young for her years, and she was she still lived in this magical <laughs> think back to some of the <laughs> when I would go into school and for parents evening very often she'd be doing a piece of writing and even if it had absolutely she didn't she she found school difficult for all sorts of reasons but she might be writing about I don't know something completely not in tune and she would end it you know um and they all lived happily ever after or she would start her piece of writing once upon a time, you know, and that's who she was. She was yeah. this innocent little fairy tale princess loving girl. And I miss that innocence. You know, I've I'm now um, living with two with two sons, a husband and a male dog. <laughs> and I miss and I miss that just that princess stuff in my life I really I really do um but yeah I I am I am able to listen to music and I am my son finds it difficult um there have been a couple of examples of things that have happened at school when music has been brought into the classroom and it might be from a film that he associates watching with her and he gets very upset at school he does it more at school than he does here and I think that's because he doesn't want to upset us Mm. Um, which is painful and upsetting because he can be anything he needs to be with us. But I think there is there's something that deep down he he because that you know that's the other thing for him is that the day he lost his sister he kind of also lost his parents for a bit. Um, we're certainly different people and 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 in the immediacy, you know, God, he was just being sort of looked on. Yeah, I bet he couldn't. You know, I mean, we didn't tell him for. I think two or three days because I just couldn't. He thought she was still in the hospital. Um, I mean, he kind of knew, but I, you know, and a friend said to me, one of, one of these really amazing friends, she said, you just need to tell him, you need to tell him now. I was so scared of it. Yeah. And I will never forget that experience. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. And, you know, he was, he sat next to me at the kitchen table and I said, you know, you know that uh, Annalise went into hospital and um, she wasn't feeling well. And he just looked at me, you know, and he was so little. And he just looked at me and he said, she's died, hasn't she? And I said, yes, she has. And he just kind of wailed, I want my sister back. And, you know, that's deeply upsetting and awful because you know that there is nothing you can do to make that okay for him. Um, and you know he doesn't do that now he doesn't cry often about it now I think he will he's 10 now Um, but yeah you know uh, he finds music uh, tricky because I think it reminds him of her a lot Um, but but I, I still I you know Christmas music she loved Christmas she loved Christmas music mm. first couple of years were were difficult and I sort of avoided it and but now I sort of embrace it and it amazes me that I'm able to do that um but it just reminds me that you know human beings can be pretty incredible uh when they you know if if they're if they're lucky enough to be able to have that power of sort of resilience and find and find something to hang on to and I know not everybody can and that makes me again that makes me deeply sad because I never thought I would enjoy life how could I Mm. but you know Mm. what I do I do for the most part I do I 
I go to comedy and I laugh till I cry. I my kids make me laugh. My kids make me shout. Um, I'm just a normal mum living a normal kind of life, and and but I do get pleasure from stuff, and I and I, I you know I genuinely I you know my husband and I used to say to each other, how are we going to live? Mm. How are we going to do this? How is this? How can this possibly work? And the truth is, at that point in time, you can't see a way where it will, but you just hang on and hang on and hang on and hang on. And then suddenly one day you're pissing yourself laughing at something, you know, whatever it might be. Or you say yes to going to a party um, and you dance and you have a few drinks and you, you know, you just you just think, wow. That's nice. Or you look forward to something. I, I, you know, couldn't imagine looking forward to something. I was talking to a friend just the other day and I was meeting up with a bunch of old university pals and I was like, I've got the afternoon off work. We're meeting up. I'm really looking forward to it. I haven't seen some of them for ages. And my friend said, oh, I can't, I can't. This is the same friend that said to me, Alex, I should name her. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, she said to me, it's so great to hear you say that you're looking forward to something. She said, that really makes my heart feel warm. Yeah. And I was like, I know, it's amazing, isn't it? Because I I honestly didn't think that was going to be possible. And, and you I'm touch on that, you know, you have a whole chapter on those guilt, feelings of guilt that come up. Mm. A little bit of that can be when you start to look forward to something for the first time. There's There's also a tinge of guilt in there. And yeah. Just sort of letting go of that. Yeah, and I think I think I have managed to let go of that now, that aspect of guilt, because I think there's enough other aspects of guilt that I can, you know, that I don't think I'll ever let go of. Um, but but I, you know, I have to live my life. We're not here for long. Mm. Some are not here for very long at all. And I've got kids that, you know that I need to do my best for, you know, just Anything. like I was trying to do my best for her. And and so we, and so on we go, you know, yeah. and some days are better than others. Some days are good. Some days are good. Uh, most of the days are okay and fine. A few of the days are absolute stinkers, but you go to bed and tomorrow's another day. I love your spirit, Claire, I really do. So is there a favourite song that you would like to add to the playlist that we can all There is. I would love to add um, from the original soundtrack of Oliver, uh, Um Papa, by, uh, sung by Georgia Brown, um, who played Nancy. Uh, Annalise loved Oliver, um, uh, and I think she was introduced to it because one of the contestants, now what year would it have been? It might have been 2016, because we watched those episodes for a year of Strictly Come Dancing. And one of the contestants did uh, a, a, a dance to Um Papa playing kind of like Nancy. And Annalise was just, oh, it was amazing. So that's what was her introduction to the film, Oliver. And then she just used to listen to the whole soundtrack. And so she kind of, she was a little bit of Nancy somehow. Um, and okay. so that's, yeah, that's the song I would like. And I love that you're able to access that now from a place yeah. of fond memories. And Me too. Me too. She yeah. made me, I, 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 it's a very weird thing, but her gift to me, I mean, she was, our eldest and so she gave me you know um the gift of being a, a mum and you know I mean she used to drive me crazy she was she was so strong-willed and oh my god but anyway and her death has sort of I think she's made me a better person I think she has I don't know I think I am a better person uh and that is I have extremely mixed feelings about it because I would change all of it in a moment of course but I think she's given me the opportunity to reflect on what's important in life um to be kinder to myself 
to write this book, which I know I've been, you know, I know because I've been told is going to help people. And that is, I am so proud of us. You know, I really, I really am. And I feel grateful that I've been able to, you know, to get to that point, really. Yeah. Well, I can only reflect back how proud I am of you. And you talk very movingly at the end of the book about meeting her again. And I'm sure that when you reconnect, she'll have nothing but good things to say. I hope so. I hope so. Is there any last wisdom, you know, you've just shared so eloquently the wisdom of what it means to come through the really hard stuff, the the stuff that we just can't even imagine we'll be able to get through. But is there anything that you would share with someone who's perhaps a bit earlier on in their journey? Mm, um, It's, it's, they sound like, really trite things I think you know the the keep going you know find somebody or a group of people that you feel you can connect with you know if you're a bereaved parent please find the compassionate friends I promise you they will give you support um I think you know tomorrow's another day um when you're feeling really bad that that might not feel like a good thing because you might not feel like you want to face that other day yeah but I, I think the other big thing is you know however you feel however you react you know it's so it's okay allow yourself that reaction allow yourself that feeling you know if there's a day that a day a weekend you know hell a week where you don't want to change out of your pajamas and you just want to then you've got you know and obviously all that depends on your responsibilities and what 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 it is that you're trying to do it's not okay to hurt other people it's not okay but 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 it really doesn't matter if you sit in your pajamas for a few days. Yeah. If that is going to help you survive, and it is about survival at the beginning, it yeah. is purely about survival. I think, you know, a, a big thing for us, you know, my husband, when my husband was really struggling, I begged him to go to the doctor to get some help um, because he absolutely did not want to do that. And he still swears to me because he's you know he he's on antidepressants and so am I actually uh it took me another year to get to the point where I thought I needed it but um he still swears to me that they don't make any difference I can tell you that they do make a difference (laughs) they just somehow have enabled us to kind of keep our head above water a bit and um and I don't think it will be for forever but I would just say you know please please know that you're not on your own please reach out and and find an organization please talk to somebody and keep being proud of your child and keep don't feel that you you should talk about them you should you know and and there are lots of people for whom they want to close it away for a bit because it's too painful and you know I didn't like I said about her ashes took me a long time to get to that it took me a long time to her room was not a shrine but it was as it was Mm. um until um our younger son came along and that then needed to become his bedroom now that was a weird thing um and but I but I you know because I couldn't do anything other I kept I've kept everything our loft is full of beautiful pink big bags with cats faces on them with her life in them because I need to still have them every pair of knickers every pair of socks everything is still important right now might not always be but right now because I was like saying to my husband I don't know what to keep what you know what and he was like you keep everything you just you just keep everything um and and now it's you know and now it's 
his bedroom and her bed is still in that room. He's in a cot. Um, he's nearly three and uh, all our kids are adopted. So um, this was, you know, uh, yeah, life is unexpected. Um, and every night when I'm in there and I put him to bed, he wants me to sort of lay on the bed for a minute or two. And every night I think about her when I get into that bed. Of course you do. Well, I just want to reflect what a gorgeous soul you are, Claire. It's been an absolute joy, privilege to spend some time with you. I can't imagine the courage it must have taken to write this book, Um, but it is, I'm sure, going to be really, really helpful to anyone who's either experiencing their own grief and loss or, as you say, trying to be that support for the people in their lives their families and friends. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. I've really enjoyed talking to you about her. Fabulous. Thanks a lot. Wow, what a deeply moving and insightful conversation we've just had with Claire Louise. The courage it takes not only to go through such a devastating loss, but also to turn that experience into guidance for others is nothing short of extraordinary. Claire's wisdom today serves as a poignant reminder that you are not alone and that it's not just okay, but essential to seek the help you need in whatever form that may take. It's also a reminder that it's okay to be overwhelmed by the tide of emotions that will undoubtedly knock you off your feet at times. It's all part of the human experience and part of healing. For those of you who found resonance in today's episode and are seeking additional support, as well as Claire's book, there are some wonderful organisations dedicated to helping individuals and families navigate the heart-wrenching path of child bereavement. One such organisation, as mentioned by Claire, is Compassionate Friends, which offers peer-to-peer support for parents and families after a child dies. There's a fuller list in the show notes, including a link to Carrie Ad Lloyd's brilliant podcast, Griefcast, which has helped open up the conversation about grief. And I'd also like to mention that Julia Samuel, a renowned British psychotherapist who has dedicated her life to supporting those going through grief, has recently launched an app called Grief Works. The app provides invaluable resources and therapeutic advice, as well as being on hand anytime, day or night to anyone going through their own experience with grief. So as we wrap up today's episode, I want to extend my deepest gratitude to Claire Louise for sharing her story and her wisdom with us and to you, our listeners, for joining us in this vulnerable space. Until next time, take good care and remember you're not alone. Thank you so much for listening. There are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from, so I really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today. If you found it helpful, I would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us. And if you haven't already, you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you. You can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com or you can find me on Instagram at collectivewisdompod where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.